We begin with the resignation out of Scotland that will send shockwaves through the UK. Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has announced she's leaving politics. After nearly a decade in the top job, Ms Sturgeon says she knew in her head and in her heart it was the right time to step down. If this was just a question of my ability or my resilience to get through the latest period of pressure, I wouldn't be standing here today. But it's not. This decision comes from a deeper and longer term assessment. I know it might seem sudden, but I have been wrestling with it, albeit with oscillating levels of intensity for some weeks. Essentially, I've been trying to answer two questions. Is carrying on right for me? And more importantly, is me carrying on right for the country, for my party, and for the independence cause I have devoted my life to. Nicola Sturgeon announcing her resignation overnight. Sir John Curtis is a professor of politics at Strathclyde University. He joined me from Glasgow a short time ago. Nice to talk to you, Patricia. If we read between the lines of Nicola Sturgeon's resignation announcement, what's your analysis of why she's leaving the top job? The truth is, it's so, as so often in politics, it's the combination of the personal and the political. The personal is that after eight years in the job, and in particular after what two or more years of uh, leading her country through the pandemic, and she was very much uh, front and centre of the Scottish government's decisions and public pronouncements um, and cajoling and encouragement of the public during the whole of the pandemic. Uh, that that has eventually taken its toll on her, in much the same way as Jacinda Hardern, former New Zealand Prime Minister, had also recently acknowledged. I think and many of us were wondering whether or not, in the end, having led her country through that, and um, the toll, emotional, psychological, uh, and physical that that would have taken, whether indeed, in the end, she would decide she had enough. Now, it's taken a while in much the same way as it's taken a while for us to perhaps accept that maybe the pandemic is over, but she now seems to have achieved the realisation that perhaps that's the case. So that's undoubtedly part of the story. Um, she's beginning to run out of the, the fuel in the tank. But I think it's also influenced by politics. Now, of course, one of the headlines that you may be aware of is that she's hit a certain amount of political flack recently in an argument about attempts to reform the gender recognition law in Scotland, trying to make it more liberal. And that's uh, particularly uh, led to a lot of uh, difficulty for her because then we had a, a uh, transgender uh, woman being uh, trans, uh, being, uh, who, being put into a woman's prison who was convicted for rape, and that inevitably caused an enormous argument. But I don't think that's really the central issue here. The central issue here is that in the wake of the decision of the UK Supreme Court back in November, that the Scottish Parliament could no could not hold an independence referendum on its own authority, which is what Nicola Sturgeon wanted to do, given the UK government was persistently saying no, that then uh, the idea was to fall back on her plan B, which was to regard the next Westminster election due to take place by some point between now and the end of 2024, to regard that election as a de facto referendum. If the SNP got over half the vote, that will be regarded as um, a mandate for negotiating independence. Lots of doubts in her party about this. And I think as Ms Sturgeon acknowledged today, 
she wasn't entirely clear that even if she won the vote, she would necessarily win the ballot on that issue. So the political issue is that it's no longer clear that she was able to convince her party to follow her on the centrepiece of her independent strategy. She said she'd been wrestling with the idea of resigning for weeks. Do you think the tipping point was all of the political pressure she was under? Obviously, you mentioned the gender reforms, but uh, the broader broader issues around the strategy on independence that you also raise? The combination of the two, right? So it, it's that, you know, to what extent um, am I uh, willing to deal with these issues? And I think particularly on the issue of her independence strategy, given that she was no longer certain that she actually wanted to lead her party into the next Westminster election by the end of next year, that continuing to insist to her party that they should follow her strategy for fighting that election when she wasn't sure that she was going to be around to deliver that strategy and therefore uh, a successor would be left with a strategy that maybe they don't necessarily believe in. I think there was a realisation that given there was that limitation, that doubt about how much longer she wanted to go on, given the political circumstances, then this was the time to get out because the party is indeed due to hold a conference in just three or four weeks' time on this subject in which it's meant to decide how it's going to fight the next Westminster election. And in a sense, what she's now done is she's allowed the party to have a much more open debate about what it should do when that conference comes around, as well as, of course, hold a leadership bad when I think almost undoubtedly the question of how the party can now achieve independence is bound to be a central issue for many S&P activists. Mm. Nicola Sturgeon says Scotland's new leader should be someone who the country hasn't already made their minds up over. How could you find that person? What does that mean? Well, that's almost undoubtedly going to be true, though whether that's going to be an advantage is another matter. I mean, Ms Sturgeon was trying to argue that because people have strong views about her because she's been around for a long time, that maybe she was going to find it more difficult than perhaps somebody fresh to persuade people, persuade more people of the case for independence. And she was acknowledging and saying that, that yes, actually the SNP do need to persuade more people of independence. At the moment, the polls suggest it's just under a half, and that's not enough to win any kind of ballot on the issue. But of course, what's also true is that there isn't any obvious successor, and there certainly isn't any potential successor who has a proven demonstrated ability to appeal to the public, to be persuasive with the public. We are going to be talking about a new first minister who almost undoubtedly will be relatively unknown so far as the electorate is concerned. Now, that's potentially an advantage if indeed they prove to be effective um, and maybe avoid some of the animus that Ms Sturgeon now feels that she suffers from. But equally, the risk, of course, is is that uh, un- unknown as they are now, they will actually prove to be much less charismatic than Ms Sturgeon, much less persuasive, and to that extent at least leave the SNP in a more difficult position. And certainly there is no doubt that the party's opponents, particularly the Scottish Labour Party, who are actually due to meet in conference this weekend, are hoping that this might prove to be the opportunity for them to begin to regain some of the ground they lost so badly to the SNP, most notably at the 2015 Westminster election. The party only has one MP 
north of the border at the moment. He badly wants more after the next general election. Labour are just hoping that indeed the next SNP leader will not be up to the task and that will provide them an opportunity. But mm. of course, on that, we will have to wait and see. So John Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. And Sir John Curtis is a professor of politics at Strathclyde University. He joined us there from Glasgow. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.